All right. That looks like it needs some explanation right there. So <clears throat> that was uh, CIY 2017, and uh, many of these students that, that are sitting right up here right now got to go on that trip. And yes. Uh, and uh, I, I just got to thank you guys because many of you all made it very possible for these guys to come. Your donations, your willingness to help support. And uh, I, I got to let you know, we, we, had, we had 16 students from our church that just got started in September. I don't know if you all understand how ridiculous that is. Uh, and every single one of them encountered Jesus in, in some way that just propelled their faith uh, a step further or some of them just like generations further. And I, we, we're so thankful that, uh, that you all would afford us that opportunity to go that that right there was an Irish jig um, that I'm never going to make you all see again. Like, you all don't have to be exposed to that again. But that was, that was because our mission this year was, uh, was about Ireland. We wanted to do the same thing that we got a chance to do in Durango in Ireland. And so we were raising funds for that. So after we happened to win the ultimate Frisbee competition, which might have been the most significant thing that happened all week, all right, uh, we, we sang that in honor of the Irish uh, people that we want to go and support. So thank you guys again for doing that. I, I want to encourage you, um, and one of our main focuses here, uh, we, we've got uh, nations, we've got neighboring, but next generation is one of our main focuses. And so if you get a chance and you see one of our youth that are here, ask them if they went to CIY and just ask them, hey, uh, what, what did you learn? What did God speak to you? What happened that week? And uh, make sure you got like a couple hours and some coffee uh, because they, they might talk your ear off in that regard. So, uh, so cool, so cool. Uh, the other thing I wanted to do is uh, I want to introduce you guys to uh, to our speaker today. Uh, the guy's name is uh, Stuart McPherson, and uh, he comes from uh, from New Mexico uh, initially, uh, but God has sent him on a uh, on a journey. He's kind of been on an intercontinental quest uh, to figure out exactly where God wants to have him. So, come on over here, Stuart. Y'all welcome, Stuart. Stuart and his wife are here today. Um, now, this is what you need to know about uh, Stuart, uh, other than the fact that he's from uh, New Mexico, is that he's living here in Colorado right now. And, and very similar uh, to what Aaron and I had a calling to do, uh, God has put that calling on his heart. And so uh, he's going to be planting a church. Now, one of the things that we want to continue to put in, in the minds of our people is, is the importance of what we are doing. You see, statistics show that, uh, that the way that we're going to reach people far from God is by planting new things. Um, and so, and finding different ways to reach those people. And so many of you guys are sitting in here today because uh, a couple guys and some families that came up from Arizona and, and said, you know what, God's calling us to do this. Well, many of, of the people that are going to be surrounding Stuart in the coming days are going to do that because he and his wife are willing uh, to step out in faith and to plant something new. And so uh, because of that, he's been hanging out with us a little bit, uh, learning the little things that we know and that are learning from here. And uh, we also want to continue to give him a platform. And so uh, he's going to be speaking to you today. So if you you all will welcome Stuart McPherson. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I appreciate it. I want to start off with a story this morning because stories are always amazing. The story goes like this: that a, a, a young girl brings home her fiance to meet the parents, and uh, after dinner, the mom basically sits there and says to the father, "Hey, why don't you uh, go ahead and pull that young man aside and get to know him a little bit better." Which, as I was rereading through this, I was thinking, that's really like the worst time to be trying to figure out a person is after they've already gotten engaged to your daughter, but side note, whatever. So the father takes the young man into his study and starts asking some questions. He sits there and says, so uh, yeah, I'm excited that you're going to enter into our family, but I want to know, how are you planning on providing for my daughter? How are you planning on getting her a house that she's accustomed to living into? And 
he sits there and says, well, sir, basically I'm, I'm in school and I'm studying the Bible. I'm a, I'm a theologian and, and that's basically how things are going to work out. I believe that God will provide. And he goes, a Bible theologian, you know, it's very admirable of you, but uh, I don't think that's really going to take you very far in life. I mean, how are you planning on buying this engagement ring for my daughter? And he says, sir, again, I trust in the God that I serve, and I believe that he will provide for us. And he goes, all right, that's all well and good, but at some point in time, I imagine that you guys are planning on having kids, right? You want kids in your future. How do you plan on supporting them? And again, the young man simply says, look, I full on believe that my God will provide for us. So the conversation goes on like this, question after question, and the father finally sits there and says, well, I think that's the last of the questions that I have for you have a great night, and they go their separate ways. So the father ends up going back, meets up with his wife, and the wife asks him, so how did it go? And he goes, well, the young man has no plans for his future. He's got no job, but there is one good news that came out of the conversation. And the wife says, well, what was that? And he goes, well, he thinks I'm God. So... <laughs> Well, Corey said, my name is Stuart, and I'm honored that I get to be here and speak with you all today. My wife, Melissa, and I uh, have had this amazing journey so far. Mine's been a little bit different than hers. She went from living in New Mexico, moved up to Colorado, and uh, God decided that it would be great for my journey to go from New Mexico to, Col uh, to Arkansas to Colorado, and then from there, he took both my wife and I from Colorado to Connecticut and back here, and it's been a great time. I've uh, been able to see new places and uh, learn new things, and, and it's just been awesome. And I'm super honored that uh, God has brought us back here uh, to Colorado Springs, a place that I absolutely love. Growing up in Albuquerque uh, and having family up in Denver, I've traveled through here plenty of times, and every single time since the time I was young, I remember sitting there thinking, man, I would love to live there at some point in time, and here I am. So my God's awesome. So I want to ask a simple question this morning. What makes a great story? You ever thought about it? I mean, we, we live in a time now where we look to stories, and stories influence our lives. After 9-11, we looked to the great stories of people who stood up and stood out in our darkest of time. Uh, I absolutely love sports, and uh, we love the stories of the underdogs coming back and, and winning, uh, much like a Major League Baseball team who hasn't won a World Series in 108 years, coming back down 3-1 in a series to win their first World Series. Go Cubs. I, I'm a Diamondbacks fan, but I'm a baseball fan above all. So what makes a great story? Thought about it? Well, in reality, a great story starts with an amazing beginning something that grabs our attention from the very beginning, something that causes us to invest our time into, that we lean into and say, I want to know more about this. If you think about it, movies, when we go to the movies and we spend millions upon millions of dollars every single year going to movies, this tells you how much we love stories, but we get introduced to the previews beforehand. And the previews are a great two-minute introduction to what a movie is going to be, where we get to play the critic of the movie, and we get to decide whether or not we think it's going to be a huge success or a major flop when it comes out. But within those two minutes, it grabs our attention. What about, what about uh, the other things that make a great story? How about the conflict and the tension that builds up within a story? You know, the story that I just shared about the father and the soon-to-be son-in-law, 
the tension that grows in there for the father is, how are you going to provide for my daughter? Men, we, most of us can remember that time that we had to ask permission to marry somebody's daughter. And if that was written into a movie, it would probably be a suspense. For some of us, it was probably a horror film. <laughs> Tons of screaming and blood and death. A moment of silence for our, our brothers that didn't make it. And congratulations to those of you that did. The story also has a nice ending to it, right? Uh, we see that the hero ends up on top, the guy gets the girl, and the underdog gets the win. But a great ending usually has some form of inspiration to it, something that causes us to sit there and say, I want this. I can take action. I can be the hero of my own story. I can get the girl. I can be the winner. Now, when we read through the Bible, the Bible is chock full of amazing stories. Stories like that of Adam and Eve in the beginning of creation. From the very beginning of the book of the Bible, we get this amazing story of a God who created something out of nothing with just a spoken word. How about the story of Moses in Exodus? A guy who murdered an Egyptian that God looked at and says, I have a greater plan and purpose for you. I want you to go back to Egypt where you ran away from, where you ran away from your past, and I want you to set free my people. Now, the tension within that story is a Pharaoh who loves the power that he has over people, over the Hebrew people, that didn't want to give that up whatsoever. And he held on to that so tightly to the point that he led his country through turmoil, plague after plague after plague. Eventually, the story ends with Moses leading the Hebrew people out of Egypt. The waters of the Red Sea splitting so the people can walk on dry ground, leaving slavery and entering into freedom. What about the, ama uh, the amazing great story of Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego? Three guys who decided that they were going to worship their God above all else, that even when their king that they are serving at the time set up an idol of himself, they refused to bow down which basically ultimately led to them being thrown into a fiery furnace, but they didn't get burned because their God protected them. The Bible is chock full of amazing stories. We got Noah and the ark, David versus Goliath, Jonah and the fish, and so on and so forth. So let me talk to the believers in the room for a second. Have you ever thought about the importance of your story? You see, I believe that our story is the greatest tool that we as believers have in our arsenal when it comes to reaching out to our unbelieving friends and family. Now, that's not me trying to lessen the importance of the Bible. It's not me trying to lessen who God is. But it's me trying to show you how important our story is. I want you to think about it for a second. Your story might be the most inspiring thing that somebody's ever heard. Think about it. Your story probably has something where you went from living one style of life to being something completely different. You know, the amazing thing about your story is it's your own. Yeah, there might be some people that have a story that's similar to yours, but nobody has a story that's, that impacted themselves quite like your own. 
Your story might include drug abuse, an addiction to porn, financial debt, marriage struggles, or maybe even murder. But it's your story about where Jesus entered into your life and took you from one place to another. It might be your story that somebody needed to hear that makes them sit there and say, you know what? I think I do want to know a little bit more about this Jesus guy. The other amazing thing about your story is they can't be disputed. I, I love watching uh, the History Channel and Discovery Channel because time after time, they put up these shows where what they try to do is they try to disprove the Bible. And I love their efforts, and it's always fun for me to watch. But try as they might, you can't do it. However, your story can't be disputed. Yeah, you might mess up from time to time. You might stumble and fall. But you can't share your story of what God's done in your life and have somebody sit there with solid evidence and say, that didn't happen. What God is doing through your life and in your life is personal between you and God. And like I said, you might mess up from time to time, but the overpowering evidence of Christ working through your life, it just can't be disputed. So as part of this series that Trace has been on, on the move, uh, I got the, the opportunity to speak on Acts 9 and 10. Now, one of the great stories throughout the whole entire Bible is that of this guy by the name of Paul. Now, you may have never come to church before, or this might be, or you've come to church periodically, but most likely you've kind of heard of this Paul guy. You see, Paul has this amazing story. You see, of the 27 books that make up the New Testament, Paul is credited for writing 13 of them. Paul is credited for going new places and starting new churches. In fact, if you were to look at a map of his journey through life, his missionary journey, you would get lost and tired just looking at it. However, that's not all of Paul's story. You see, if you start back towards the beginning, you would know Paul by a different name. You would know him by the name of Saul. And Saul has a completely different story. We got a little bit of a background on Paul, so how about a little bit of background on Saul? You see, Paul's a Pharisee. And, and some of you may have heard that term before. Basically, he was the religious of the religious. Uh, Paul, or Saul, sorry. Saul would have spent his whole entire life memorizing the Old Testament of the Bible. In fact, the equivalence of passing elementary school in our lifetime, for him, he would have had to have the first five books of the Bible completely memorized. You can ask Corey, who looked over my message, I have a hard time still as where to place a period in a comma. And this dude has the first five books memorized. Paul would have learned, or Saul would have learned to fall in so in love with Jewish law and custom that he would have hated anything that opposed his religion. Well, for Saul, during his lifetime, a group rises up, and they know that group as the way. And Saul absolutely hates these people. The leader of the way, his name is Jesus. 
And he sees Jesus and his band of rebels as nothing more than a threat to the religion that he has fallen in love with. So Saul, in his anger and his hatred towards this new organization rising up, goes out and asks for permission to arrest and persecute these people, any of them that he found, both men, women, and children. That's Saul. The amazing thing is that we hear who Paul was, and we hear who Saul is, and we ask the question, what happened? Or we sit there and say, there's no way that this can be the same guy, but in reality, it is. So if you got your Bibles with you, this is what I ask you to do. I ask you to open them up or power them up to Acts chapter 9, and let's kind of see how Saul's story plays out. Because we know that he's eventually going to become Paul, but we got to know what his story is. So Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 1. It reads like this. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation and the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And a voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Now let's face it. We all wish that we had that story, right? We all wish that we had that moment where Jesus showed up in a flash, and spoke to us, introducing himself to us and telling us what to do. But the reality is that that's most likely not our story, right? Because if that was our story, I mean, it would probably sound something more like this. Yeah, you know, I was just doing, I was just traveling down the road, doing what I normally do. I was persecuting Christians. I hated these people. And then, boom, this flash comes around me. And, and, and this guy is standing before me. And he sits there and says, why are you persecuting me? And I'm sitting there going, I, first of all, I don't know who you are. So I asked him, like, who are you? And he says, I'm Jesus. No, come on, give me a second. Because I've been told that Jesus is dead, right? And, and his followers are telling me, his followers are proclaiming that he is risen from the dead. But dude's dead. Nobody comes back to life. But I ask him who he is. And there he is standing in front of me. He says, I'm Jesus. And, I, and okay, well, dang, what do I do now? I saw him. I mean, I'm blind now, but I, I saw him. We would love for that to be our story because there's, there's a lot of passion behind that, right? To see Jesus face to face, to have Jesus speak to us. We can move 
forward in our walk with Christ and proclaim what he has done to the world if we had that experience. But the reality is that most of us, I'm guessing, haven't had that experience. But what we have in common with Saul is that come to Jesus moment. That point in time in our life where we clearly heard and felt Jesus enter into our lives and sat there and say, I've got something bigger and better planned for you. The sad reality is, though, the sad reality is that sometimes we, we act like Paul or Saul at this moment where Jesus entered into our lives and we're now asking the question, so what do we do now? Now what? I feel you talking to me. I feel you tugging on the strings of my heart, but, but now what? Because Jesus tells Saul, go to the town and I'll tell you what you must do. Now what though? What am I supposed to do with this moment? And some of you can probably relate. You've been a follower of Christ for many years, but the question that's still weighing heavy on you is, what am I supposed to do with this? And the sad reality is that sometimes we allow the mistakes of our past or our current circumstances to hold us back from God's purpose for our life. Now the chapter continues on, chapter 9, and it says that God calls out to one of his followers, a guy by the name of Ananias. Now we've got the story of Saul, and now we're going to do this side step and we're going to look at a different story of this guy by the name of Ananias and he's a follower of Christ and God calls to him and says hey I got a job for you there's this guy by the name of Saul that has just entered into Damascus and I want you to go to him because I got a plan for him now Ananias is there and basically in fear and hesitation sits there and says God um heard about this dude right? Like, heard what he's been doing, terrorizing everybody who follows you. So you, you, you want to send me into the lion's den? You want to send me to face Goliath? I don't know if I like this very much. Now pause. We're talking about great stories. I guarantee at this point in time for Ananias and his story that God's writing, I bet you he wishes it was very similar to an adventure book right, where he could flip over to like page 121 and sit there and go, huh, let's see how this plays out for me if I decide to tell, do what God tells me to do. So Ananias goes and blah, blah, blah. I don't know, I don't like that. Let's flip to 242, see. Uh, okay, so Ananias does what God tells him to, or doesn't do what God tells him to do, and huh, I don't know I like that either. He doesn't have that opportunity. He has to make a choice, and his choice is to either do what God is calling him to do or completely disobey God. He has a choice. And some of us are faced with the exact same type of choices today. It may not be the same choice that Ananias has to make, but God has placed a choice between us, and we have to choose between option A or option B. Ananias chooses to do what God tells him to do. He goes to this guy by the name of Saul. Now let's look at the significance of that. God's purpose for Saul is to reach out to the Gentiles and kings. So 
Let me ask a question and want you to play along with me, if you will. If you have any kind of Jewish heritage running through your family bloodline, raise your hand. Not very many of you. But for those of you that did raise your hand, the good news is maybe, and that's a strong maybe, you would have heard about this Jesus guy. For the rest of us in the room, if Ananias wouldn't have done what God was telling him to do, the reality is that maybe, and this is a very strong maybe, we would have never heard about Jesus. That's the significance of Acts chapter 9 and 10. This is God commissioning people to go out into the world and reach those who are far from him. Saul's story is amazing and is captivating. What the story of Saul and Ananias teaches us is that the church is on the move because God is in the business, even today, of redeeming people. But Saul's story is captivating. We see him go from a guy who absolutely hates Christ and hates those who would say that they are followers of him to a guy who goes off on these amazing missionary journeys, planting new churches and reaching out to the lost and advancing God's kingdom. A complete turnaround of events for a guy. He entered into conflict when he's on the road to Damascus and is standing face to face with a guy that he thought was dead and anything but the Messiah that he claimed to be. But the conflict that he stood, that he entered into with Jesus, entered him into a moment of inspiration for the rest of us because God is in the business of redeeming people. He's turning Saul's story into one of hope that is found. In Jesus. And I believe that God is writing an amazing story here today with this church called Trace. Because I believe through Trace Church, the lost are going to be found, families are going to be strengthened, and marriages are going to be restored. Because Trace full on believes that God is writing a story. And it's much better of a one than we could write for ourselves. But let's bring this a little bit closer to home again. Because I believe that's, that's the story of Trace. But what about your story? Let me talk to the believers in the room again. Are you utilizing your story to the best of its ability? Better question. Are you utilizing your story at all? Because if I were to be fair, standing up here being completely transparent, I don't. I don't think that I'd nearly give God the credit that he deserves for the things that he has done in my life. I have family, I have friends, I have co-workers that I work with right now that are completely far from God, and it should be breaking my heart. And more importantly, some of the stuff that God has done with my life is completely amazing. But I don't utilize it. I don't make a God who seems so far away feel near. So how are you utilizing your story if you are at all? And if you're not, let me encourage you, do better than I do. Use your story that God has written. How about for the person in the room that you, you kind of feel like Saul? God can never use a person like you. 
Well, let me encourage you with this statement that I fully believe. I believe what God has saved you to is far greater than what God has saved you from. That God has a better plan and purpose for your life. Now, now here's the significance of you understanding that. There are people that only you can reach out to, that God wants you to reach out to, that are waiting for you to get off the bench and into the game. Because God's ready to start writing their story of a better promise and a better purpose. Now, it's church. I understand that sometimes we are blessed and honored with people that don't believe in the same God that I believe in at all. That you don't believe in Jesus. Welcome. I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that you're investigating this thing called Christianity today because your story that is being written right now is similar to a lot of other people's stories. And here's my encouragement for you. Here would be my homework assignment for you if, if that's you in the room today. Find the person that says, I'm a believer and ask them to share their story. Ask them, where, where did you come from? What was life like before Christ? And what does life look like since Christ has entered into your life? And then watch them light up. Because somebody who has truly experienced Christ entering into their life is experiencing a completely new and different life than the one that they experienced before. Even the person who sits there and says that my story is I've always been a believer. Because the reality is that we live in a dark, dark, broken world. But being a follower of Christ gives us hope because we know that the best is still yet to come. That we mainly work through this life trying to introduce as many people as we can to Christ because we know that the eternity with Christ at the end of it all is so much worth the pain that we face now. You know, I said that I don't utilize my story very much, and I believe that to be true. Um, but I also do believe that my story is an interesting one, and I believe that it's somewhat similar to maybe some people here in the room. Because you see, my family, I didn't grow up going to church. In fact, my family decided not to start going to church until I entered into fifth grade. My mom retired from a company that she was working for, and she was very uh, successful within her business, and she decided enough was enough. I want to spend time with my kids, and it's time for my family to start going to church. And I tell you, that was the greatest decision that ever happened for me because I fell in love with church. I fell in love with God through the process. Uh, so much to the point that when I was in high school, I told my teacher, get this, I told my teacher, I want to be a pastor. I believe I'm going to grow up. I'm going to be a pastor someday. Now imagine the disbelief on my teacher's face upon hearing that, especially since I was a class clown. I didn't believe it. I felt it, but I didn't believe it. I didn't believe it so much that I pursued many other things other than what it was that I felt God was calling me to do. I thought music education. Failed at that. I thought I can own a business much like my parents are doing now. Failed at that. Well, I didn't fail at that. I got bored with that. I pursued many different things other than what it was that God was calling me to do, and nothing was as fulfilling as getting back into church and following hard after God and chasing the plan and purpose 
that he had for me. You see, for some of us, that's exactly our story. That we were walking with God, ran away from God. And we're walking with him again. It's still your story. It may have some bumpy roads in it, but it's still your story. I love Saul's story because we see throughout the Bible that he goes from Saul to Paul. But I believe Saul's story teaches us one thing. And if you've been coming to Trace for some time, you know that Aaron and Corey always love to leave you with one thing, that if you sat here and got nothing out of the message, that you would at least walk out of this place today knowing at least this one thing, that if your friends and family asked you, what did you do this weekend? You'd say, I went to church. What did you learn? I learned at least this. And I believe Saul's story teaches this, that when our story becomes part of Jesus' story, our best is yet to come. That's what I took out of this. I pray that you receive it and you walk away with it as well. We pray. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for the story that you're writing over each and every individual lives that's here in this room. Father, our stories all consist of these great mountaintop experiences and these great valleys of darkness. But you are still the God that's writing our story. You're the God that has set up previous examples of how we will overcome our greatest obstacles, that even though things get tough sometimes, our greatest future is still ahead of us, that we don't have to be bogged down by the things of today, but we can look forward to the hope of tomorrow. Father, I pray above all else that we look at the story that you're writing for us, that we don't just merely glaze over it as just another thing that God has done, but we look at it and we see the significance of it, that it's the greatest tool that you've given us to reach out to our families and friends. Because the same way that you're shaping our story, you're waiting to shape and write somebody else's. That it's our story that's gonna help somebody see that maybe Jesus is real and I should give him a shot. So Father, thank you for the stories that are being written because some of the individual stories that are being written right now are gonna be the exact reason why your kingdom advances far and beyond what anybody else thought in a dark, dark world. We thank you for everything and we lift this up in your son's name. Amen. Amen.